Psalm 20. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And may the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. And may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offerings, Selah. And may he grant to you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all of your purpose. And we will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. And may the Lord fulfill all of your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. And he will answer him from his holy heaven. With the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots. Some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen up and stand upright. Save the Lord, and may the King answer us when we call. Let's pray again. Lord, thank you again for our time. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just bless our hearts, Lord, richly by your word. Give us wisdom and understanding from your servant David. In Jesus' name, amen. These three chapters that we'll see tonight are tied together, mainly chapters 20 and 21. They are together in this, that they were to be sung uh, from the congregation. And if you're taking note, 20 is to be sung before you go into battle, and 21 is to be sung when you came back from battle. Everybody got that? That's important. Why is that important for us? And we're going to dive a little deeper into why the church is failing by not teaching the Old Testament. But this is one of those things. We are all going through battles. Amen. If you're not, you're not a believer. That's just how it is. You're coming, you're going into one, you're in one, or you're coming out of one. You're like, woo, I got through it. Just wait. You're going to go through something else. This is how God refines us. He uses us through these trials. And this was to be sung from the congregation. And verses 1 through 5, it is the nation praying for those who are going into battle, those who are about to be assaulted. And remember, David is king. He is sending out his mighty men, and they were to go to war. So if you find yourself in a place of battle, and if you just came out of a battle, 21 is for you. 20 is for you if you've got, you're like, I'm right here. I'm into it. And I want you to note this. This is where the church comes into it because we are an active participant in people's lives. I know we don't like that. We are American. We're American. We are rugged individualists. Amen? And I know there are some of you in the room that you are super private. You don't talk about anything. You were raised that way. How many of you were raised that way? See, you're not even raising your hand. Like, I'm not even going to tell you. You were raised that way, right? Loose lips shake ships. What goes on in the family stays in the family. It's a Sicilian way. And so we're raised that way. But in the body of Christ, you, you, have, you have joined a new family. And this new family shares its problems with one another. And we come to one another and we say, hey, can you pray for me? I'm going through this battle. And this is an important point for the church because we, as we gather together corporately, as we'll do that on Sunday night, to pray with one another and pray for one another, to pray for the nation, to pray for direction. And so David, uh, in, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, listen, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. So verses 1 through 5 is the congregation, and David uh, speaks up in verse 6. And so they say, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. So when you're in the battle and you're crying out to the Lord, David, David by the Holy Spirit, says, I, I, I hope that the Lord would hear you at that time. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. 
Now remember, we don't live in this world anymore, but in this time, there were gods all over the place. And that village and that people had its specific God. And if you were in that time and your God was, was, happened to win against another God, you could boast about that God. Well, we know that we serve the true and the living God, amen? David knew that, and so he says, name the name of God of Jacob. And he says, let him, circle this, underline this, let him defend you. Because in the battle, if we decide oftentimes to stand up and do the fighting, God will just say, okay, I'll let you do it. And then you get beat up. How many of you have been laying on the ground, beat up by the enemy? Okay, Sean's the only honest one in the room. You're all lying. No, we get beat up a lot of times and we go, why did that happen? Well, because we defended ourselves. And it's very clear to us that let the God of Jacob, Jacob, defend you. And may he send you help from the sanctuary. This is why the prayer chain is so important. To let other people know so that people can pray in God's house. God's people can be praying. For, would you just rather you be praying or 200 people be praying for your situation? Or across the nation? Every once in a while, it doesn't happen all too often, but every once in a while... Uh, we'll bring in a prayer request from, I'm on a pastor's list server across the, the country, all these Calvary pastors all over the nation, and we'll bring something in that, that is really important. Now you've got 100,000, 200,000 believers. Good news, isn't it? He says that he might send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. And may he remember all of your offerings, what you have done and accept your burnt offerings, Selah. And may he grant you according to your heart's desire. Now, sometimes that's not a good idea. Right? On this side, in the New Testament, we, we know that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? I mean, how many, how many of you have thought, well, Lord, um, you know, that shiny uh, uh, jaguar would be good. Or that boat, or that that house, or that what, and that's what's in our heart, and oftentimes goes, and that's not for you, and you got to be okay with that. But when it comes to the battle, what's the battle? Our desire is, Lord, that you would grow me through this, Lord, that you would strengthen me through the battle, and that you would help other people who are seeing me in the battle, that they too would glorify God. Amen. So these are our heart's desire and fulfill all of your purposes, that God would fulfill what he wants to do in our life. Man, it's hard giving God control of the wheel, isn't it? We often want to grab a... Parents, how many of you have trained kids to drive? I have resided to allow my father to do that. I think that's a great grandpa job. Can I get an amen there? Uh, yeah, it will save your relationship with your child. Didn't let grandpa do it, right? And uh, my dad has done that for a couple of them. But, man, what do you do when your kid is like, oh, you grab the wheel. And what do you There's no pedal on that side. But you're doing it anyway, right? We do that with God. I don't like this direction. Stop. But you can't do that. This is his way. These are his purposes. And David says, to fulfill all of your purposes in my life. That is surrendering to God. Very hard to do with all of us control freaks. Verse 5, and we will rejoice in your salvation. The idea is your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. You know what's cool about that? The congregation says, we're going to pray that victory is already there. We were singing about victory tonight. And what the church knows is we already have victory in the risen Christ. In the empty tomb, we're reading Revelation. Wait till we get to the end. I don't want to blow it. But we win. 
and God conquers all, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. You see, we set up our banners because there is already victory there. What has Christ done in our life? He has given us His Holy Spirit, so no matter what I'm doing in the battle, I already have victory. Isn't that good news? You're like, I'm going into it. Yes, but Christ has already conquered it. He says, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Man, that's good news. He says, may the Lord fulfill all of your petitions. And now David comes into it and he says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. The king was called the anointed and our king, Jesus, is also the anointed. But he says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. How could David say that? Because God had a purpose and a plan for David's life as king and for Israel. Israel, what, uh, their whole responsibility in life was to bring forth Messiah and bring forth his word so that mankind could see the revelation of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I really like verse 7. And now this is David speaking in the midst of battle. He's a military guy. And listen, he says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord and our God. Now, it was specific to the kings that they were not to add or multiply horses uh, or gold or silver or women all of which Solomon blows later, right? But the idea was that the nation of Israel was to trust in the Lord. You see, we would say it like this, some trust in tanks and some trust in planes as a nation. But we will remember the name of our Lord God. Whatever the thing is that you trust in on planet earth that is not of God, David says, don't do that. You trust in God. Well, I trust in my own willpower. Go ahead. How many of you have said no to the donut and then it glistens? It's, it's evil. Someone left donuts in the fridge this week here. Stop that. I'm the only one here this week. During the week, don't do that. Don't leave cake. There's cake in there. All right, I had to try it. And yes, I tried the donut, but... Cold donuts from a fridge. All right, it was awesome. <laughs> when we think we have willpower, we have no willpower. We're human beings. Amen? When we think we are strong, that's when we fall. We fail. Oh, I can do it. No, you can't. That's just how we are. He said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's, David says, who we put our trust in as a nation. And David says personally. He said, they have bowed down and fallen. This is speaking of the end of the battle. But we have risen and, st and stand upright, which means we're victorious through the battle. And then he says in verse 9, Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we call. Psalm 21. So this was a song to be sung after the battle as they were coming into Jerusalem. Psalm 21 says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Obviously, he's coming in from a victorious battle, and what does he say? He says to have joy. Every battle that goes the way that the Lord has prescribed it to go, even if we get beat up in the process, there is joy. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Guys, it's real easy to rejoice when you don't get beat up and you kind of skate through uh, you know, 
a battle. And you're like, man, that wasn't as bad. And God goes, just wait. It's the next one. And it's that pride that we have to be, be careful about. But we have to rejoice. Paul tells us to rejoice. James tells us to rejoice even in the times of trials and tribulations. He said, you have given him his heart's desire. That means to win the battle and have not withheld your request from his lips, Selah. And you have met him with the blessing of goodness. And you have set a crown of pure gold upon his head. Speaking of a victor's crown. And he asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. I mean, you could just speak or hear this military uh, group going out. Lord, we just want to win the battle. We just want to continue to live. What a great soldier uh, song to sing. Lord, that you would protect me. And then when we come back, Lord, thank you that I got out of that alive. He said, I asked life from you and you gave it to me length of days forever and ever. And his glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever, and you have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Better to go through the trial with Jesus than on your own, right? So we glory in his presence while he is there. For the king's trust in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. And your hand will find all of your enemies. And your right hand will find those who hate you. And you shall make them a fiery oven in the time of your anger. And the Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Kind of talk, uh, sounds like a Sunday morning's a revelation of, of being burnt up, isn't it? Just another reference back to you shall make them a fiery oven in the time of your anger. Again, we don't think of God in that way. He is a just God and he is a loving God, but he is also one that will measure out justice on planet earth. And his wrath, as we have seen through Revelation, is holy and just and it has been long-suffering for 6,000 years. Oh, the long-suffering of God. He says in verse 8, Your hand will find all of your enemies, and your right hand will find those who hate you. God will take care of it. We don't have to worry about it. Let his vengeance be it. It won't be ours. He said, You will make them a fiery oven in the time of your anger again, and the Lord shall swallow them up in wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring shall be destroyed from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intend evil against you and they plot uh, and they devise a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back and you will make ready your arrows on the strings towards their faces. But be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength and we will sing praise to your power. So the victor, as he comes in from the battle, David describes all this to us, describes the enemy, obviously, from his perspective, but from our perspective, is that, look, at the end of this, cha- uh, uh, this chapter, God's done it all. He's done everything in the battle. And what, what are we to do in verse 13? We praise him and we exalt him, O Lord. In your own strength, not in our strength, in his strength, and we will sing and praise your power. Psalm 22, this is where we'll camp the rest of the time. Now, if I were to ask you uh, some famous psalms, it would be kind of easy, wouldn't it? Psalm 23, that's next week, Lord willing. The Lord is my shepherd. You would also say Psalm 119, the longest of the psalm, and and describing the word of God and how powerful it is, yes? 
But can I tell you what's even more powerful than Psalm 23 and Psalm 119? Are you ready for it? You're looking at it. Because this psalm is the messianic psalm. This, this entire psalm speaks of Christ. The beginning of it speaks of his crucifixion, to which we do not have this information in the Gospels which means the only way to learn about what was happening is right here in Psalm 22. Hence, my launching point right now is, then why not study the Old Testament in the church? So when the church says, well, we don't need the Old Testament, they're missing an entire psalm of what went on on the cross. I thought Jesus was important. Well, he is. Well, then why not study Psalm 22? How about the rest of the Old Testament. How about Isaiah 53? And on and on it goes. Guys, we do a great disservice inside of the church when we do not give people the entire counsel of God, all 66 books. Learn to love Leviticus. Read it over and over. God is going to reveal himself. Learn to love Job. You better. We're getting there on Sunday mornings. Learn to love Obadiah. I have a, a friend of mine years ago and early in the church and, and when I was teaching Obadiah that time and I just made this point of just giving Obadiah a woo-hoo. So he made a shirt that says, I love Obadiah. We'll have to wait till I get to that section to where I, I love Obadiah shirt. Guys, we love the New Testament. But we got to see the entire counsel of God. And what is so rich here is the Holy Spirit allowing David to write something he has no idea is speaking of Messiah. Isn't that great? He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just writing it from his perspective, and yet the Lord is helping him write this down. It becomes prophetic, and it's speaking of Jesus. Psalm 22. Now, so you have a reference this is 1,000 years before Christ. So David is writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1,000 years before Christ is hanging on the cross. Everybody got that? Not only that, it's hundreds of years before crucifixion is invented. It's not even invented yet, and yet it's going to describe crucifixion to us. How is that possible? Because God's outside of time, and he knows all things. So, a thousand years before Christ, here it is, to the chief musician, set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. And notice right out of the gate, Jesus on the cross, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here is Jesus hanging upon the cross, and now the Father has broken off the contact between his Son to which he has never not had fellowship with the Son. They have always enjoyed fellowship from the beginning of time. Listen, I don't even want to go there. Smoke starts coming out of your ears to think, what was that like? What were they doing before it was all created and before time? It doesn't matter. They're outside of time. I don't even know what that's... Uh, we'll just leave it there. What was that like? And for those moments... Those hours upon the cross, when, it's, when the planet goes dark, and by the way, we have, uh, um, we have secular writing that describes that the whole planet was in darkness from the Greeks as well as uh, the, the Pacific Islanders who, who said that there was an entire day completely dark. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. When we talk about the crucifixion uh, in the Gospels, oftentimes I'll go through the medical aspects of the crucifixion. Uh, they're very powerful. Uh, it, it is amazing that any human being makes it through several hours, if not days, through uh, a crucifixion, but just so you remember, 
Jesus wasn't killed by crucifixion. He gave up his spirit. He laid down his life. He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down freely. At one point, Jesus says, to tell us died, it is finished, paid in full. And then it says, and then he gave up the ghost. You see, the crucifixion didn't kill him. He laid it down of his own free will. He says, and from my words of my groaning. You guys, we, we don't have a whole lot of information what was going on on the cross. He was there for several hours. And it seems that the song gives us a little bit more to it. What was his groaning? What was he saying to the Father? But he says in verse 2, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, which means when they put him on the cross in the beginning. And then during that time of night, it says, Oh, let me finish the first part of that. Oh my God, I cry to you in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night session, when it was dark upon the cross, And am not silent. It was quiet. He wasn't hearing from heaven. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? He said, Dad, if there was any other way. Now think about this. At 33 years old, he's a human being. He's a carpenter. Don't you think Jesus hit his thumb with a hammer? Anybody? I do. And I'm pretty sure it it smarted. It hurt. But he didn't do what we do, which was use his name. (laughs) So Jesus knew what it was like to feel human pain. He knew that. Fully God, fully men. Everybody tracking with me, yeah? And so he knows what that cross is going to be like because he's watched it his entire life. Jesus was raised watching the Romans crucified. What does that do to a kid? By the way, And now that we're kind of on the Afghanistan thing right now, there's a wonderful documentary that was put out. I've made a link to it on our Facebook page. If you want to know the problem of Afghanistan, it documents it really well. Great documentary. You can't fix that situation over there. Really tough. But what does that do to kids in Afghanistan who were raised around warfare their entire life? who became orphaned when the Russians came in, and then they were shipped over to Pakistan, and then those are the ones who became the Taliban fighters who later on kicked out the Russians and then later on fought us, and it's just this cycle, right? Well, what does that do to Jewish kids who were raised with seeing people die upon the cross in violent ways? So Jesus knew what it was like to see the human pain. But that's not what he was saying about, Lord, uh, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. What was he talking about? He knew that he was going to have to be separated from his father. He knew he was going to have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that he was going to have a broken fellowship with the father, and he didn't want that to happen. Oh, yes, the pain was there. He knew it was coming. But it was the pain of being separated from the Father. Oh, that we would learn from Jesus about that. We often are so worried about the pain physically, but it's the separation for eternity that we should be worried about. Jesus said, don't worry about if they kill your body, worry about your soul. And so he tells us in the day he was crying out and in the night he was crying out, verse 3, but you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Even during the time that he is hanging on the cross, the Messiah is saying, yes, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Do you hear that from him here? But you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. He says, our fathers trusted in you, and they, uh, I'm sorry, They trusted and you delivered them, and they cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. He says, but I am a worm, and no man, I'm sorry, and no man a reproach of men and despised by a people. The idea is that he has become lowest of the low hanging on that cross, because if you're hanging on that cross, you're a criminal. 
And Jesus is no criminal, is he? He, is, he? he created the molecules of the wood of the tree that was planted and then the molecules of the axe that cut down the tree to hewn the cross that he's now hung upon. He holds the molecules of the, the metal that's in the iron spikes that are holding him to the... He is holding that all together. And he says, I'm a worm. And no man. A reproach of men. And despised by the people. Listen in verse 7. And all those who see me ridicule me. And they shoot out the lip and they shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delighted in him. All of this is what was said by the religious leaders. And they have zero idea that they're quoting Psalm 22. You'd think someone would go, Man, that sounds familiar. Skip, pull out Psalm 22. Okay. You just said it. You just said what was in Psalm 22. They didn't get that. They just wanted to remove Jesus because he was a threat to their power and he was a threat to their money-making scheme. Doesn't that sound like today? That people just want Jesus out of their life because he is ruining the way that they are conducting their life. And all we need to do is get rid of Jesus. And then I can have the life that I want. That's what the religious leaders taught. And they fulfilled this verse right here. They ridiculed me, verse 7. And they shoot out the hip and they shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue me. Let him come off the cross. He saved others. Let him save himself. They wagged the finger. Let alone they spit on him. I, I don't remember who I was talking to recently. Oh, Ed, was, Ed and I were talking about putting a cross up at the property, trying to figure out what we want to do with that. And we're talking about dimensions. But, you know, we, we in the West have this idea of a cross on a hill and it's like 15 feet high. That's not how they put, they, they crucified people uh, street level. Why? Because you could spit on them. It's hard to spit. You try. I mean, not now. Uh, go in your backyard, get a tape measure, 15 can't do it can you see the Romans had perfected crucifixion so much so that it was terrifying it was used as psychological warfare to any other nation to any other people you cross the Romans you're on this cross and so you can imagine the religious leaders walking up to Jesus not only spitting in his face, but ridiculing him. He's God. I don't want to be them at the great white throne judgment. Would you bring up the religious leaders who spit in my face? And they're going to have to answer for that. Jesus made mention that that religious group of men were held to a higher standard and that they would have to answer for that as well as us, as well as anybody who spits in the face of Jesus today and plenty are doing it and plenty ridicule on social media. And you think, Lord, can't we just go home? We will soon and God will take care of them. He says in verse 9, no, is that where I am? Yes, 9. You're like, please don't go backwards. But you are he who took me out of the womb and you made me trust while on my mother's breast. Listen to Jesus putting his trust in the Father. 
you know, it's not that this is a weird verse, but how do I want to say this? At what stage of him being a child in his mother's womb was there connection with the father? Do you get that? How many weeks? At some point, there's a connection. He says, listen, you took me out of the womb. By the way, thank you, Lord, for helping Mary with the birth. Amen. She's in a stable with cows and chickens and sheep and you know what they leave on the ground. And he says, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Amazing, isn't it? Just that scene, 9 and 10, the scene of Christ's birth and how Christ remembers everything that the Father was doing for him. I was cast upon you from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my father. But not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. I love those apostles. Those 11, who eventually all of them but John will give their life for Jesus. They walked with him. They slept in, out in the open. There was really nowhere for them to be. I'm sure they didn't eat well all the time. But they were with him, except at the end. He said, when they strike the shepherd, the sheep will flee. And they all left him. Yes, John was there at the beginning, but he, he told John to take his mom They were all there. Uh, They all left him. And he says, For I am in trouble, and the trouble is near, for there is none to help. Jesus is on the cross. He is alone. And there's only one person in all eternity that could have done what Jesus did. And he had to do it alone. We are never really alone. Do you know that? We might think that we're alone. We're not really alone. There is always somebody that we can reach out to. Oh, those phones. Social media, whatever. We're never really alone. Even when Peter was in jail, I mean, God opened up the prison doors. There was an angel looking out for these guys. They weren't alone. Jesus is the only one that's ever been alone. Can you hear him through this psalm yet? And by the way, you know, when we're done, he would have done it all over again. Is that amazing? That God loved us that much? that he pours his heart out through this psalm so that we would really know who he is and what he did for us. I don't know about you, but I hope this psalm breaks you as much as it broke me today when I was reading it. Because it's a psalm that we need to remember. It's a psalm that we need to say, this is what Jesus has done for us. And so when he says trouble is near, he says in verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have in, uh, encircled me. Now, bulls of Bashan are an old-timey, uh, Old Testament phrase of giants, and the idea is of demonic, uh, some kind of demonic whatever. And so around the cross, it's bad enough that the religious leaders and everybody else, the Romans, right, we're going to see in a minute, they cast his garments Uh, they're gambling for his garments. It's bad enough, all of that, and now you've got the spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes that no one can see but Jesus. And the hordes of hell are surrounding him and mocking him. There's a lot of videos that I like to see in heaven. I'm not sure I want to see that one. 
He said, they have surrounded me. They gape at me with their mouths and like a raging and roaring lion. Does anybody not think that they are cursing at him? Everything under the sun. They are blaspheming him like the Antichrist is doing in the book of Revelation. They are saying everything under the sun. Your dad, your father has left you upon the cross. He doesn't care about you and everything under the sun. They're like raging and roaring lions. And then verse 14 gives us just a little bit of insight in what he is going through physically. He said, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. And my heart is like wax and it is melting within me. So, you know, before he gets to the cross, he's completely beaten. Pontius Pilate says, behold the man. And it is my firm belief that I can't believe that this is even a man that is standing. Because of the the beatings he went through, the loss of blood by the cat of nine tails upon his back. So he is physically, his body is shot. Now he's going to carry the cross beam to Golgotha. Now they're going to put him on the cross. He's going to be there for six hours. And now his body is starting to shut down in different ways. He is dehydrated. And notice it says, all of my bones are out of joint. Listen, he is hanging from the cross from nails that are in between his wrist. Everybody got that? There's two bones here. It's not in his hand. If it was in his hand, it would have ripped off. That's why they, the, remember the Romans are really good at killing people. And they don't do anything half cocked. And so they studied by putting a, a uh, piece of iron through that, that the two bones would hold it up. But you do that for so long, what, what happens to your joints Everything starts to get dislocated. Any of you ever had a dislocated shoulder? Yes. How fun was that? You're like, I like to do that again. Never. It's really painful. And Jesus here says, my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's hard. Can you imagine his heart that's pumping, trying to just get what it needs? He said, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaw, and you have brought me to the dust of the death. When he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? This tells us that it's possible that his whole mouth is so dry, he doesn't get it out, and it's not intelligible, And so what do they say in return? He's calling for Elijah. So they can't even understand what he is saying. Ah, but listen and follow what's coming. No, let's stop there and finish this. So then uh, after he cries that out and they say um, he's crying out for Elijah, they give him some uh, sour wine, right? they, They give him something to drink. That loosens his tongue and mouth, and then he is able to, at the end, say, to die," And everybody understands that. Notice he says, for dogs have surrounded me. Anybody know what a dog is to a Jew? It's us. Dogs are Gentiles. So he says, the Gentiles are surround. Jesus, that's not very seeker-friendly right there. For the Gentiles have surrounded me, and the congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. Listen. And they pierced my hands and my feet. Now remember, this is a thousand years before Christ, and several hundred years before crucifixion is even invented. And yet, the Bible says that the Messiah will be pierced. My hands and my feet. Now, I know what you're thinking. I thought this was the hand. The problem is, in the Jewish world, the hand includes the wrist. So, from here down is the hand. 
Don't ask me why. That's just what they do. It's kind of like not being in chronological order in the book of Revelation. Amen. A couple of things are driving me crazy. I'll talk to the Jews later. (laughs) He says, The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet. He says, verse 17, I count all my bones, and they look and they stared at me. So he says, I count all my bones. None of his bones were broken. Why? Because the Passover lamb was not to have any broken bones. So Jesus is the Passover lamb. And in order to be the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he can't have any broken bones. When the Romans go to, um, after they are instructed by Pilate to end it, so they were going to end it early, they wanted it to be done, typically the Romans would come with a mallet, and it would be a huge wooden mallet, and they would break the legs of the person on the cross. Why do they do that? Because there's a footstool at the bottom of the cross, and in order to take a breath, you push up on it, take a breath, and then you rest back down on it. And then sometimes they would have a little seat on there, depending on how many days they wanted you to be on, a, on the cross. And this is, the, this is what the Romans did. So in, a, in order to hasten the death upon the cross, they would break the legs, and that's what they were going to do. But they come to Jesus, and they realize he is already dead, and they go, hey, just to be sure, because I don't want to go back to Pilate with the, he's mostly dead. I want all dead. Then they take the spear. So this tells us, again, fulfilling prophecy, that all of his bones are there. And they look and they stare at me. Verse 18 tells us, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So it says that his outer garment was of one woven. It wasn't pieced together. It was one Uh, garment and so that was of some value to the Romans and so they gambled for that but you O Lord do not be far from me O my strength hasten to help me deliver me from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dog or the Gentiles save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen And you have answered me. Now, verse 22 on is Jesus' resurrection. So, verse 21, it's to Telestai, it's finished. So now, Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brethren, that's to the Jewish nation. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. So he comes out of the tomb, and what does he do? He starts to proclaim the resurrection and what God has done. He says in verse 23, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him, all you offspring of Israel. Why? Because God has, uh, he has finally did what He said He would do in Genesis 3.15, that He would conquer and take out the enemy, Satan. And by Jesus being resurrected, the the cross is wonderful, but it's the whole package. Without coming out of the tomb, he hasn't conquered death on our behalf. He says, I know, we'll finish, verse 24. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard him. So, Jesus does not despise nor abhor the affliction of us, the afflicted. He doesn't run away from us and go, uh, you guys are really terrible sinners. He get, Amen. He gathers the sinner unto himself. And through this psalm, he proclaims what he just went through on our behalf. Now, <laughs> that's, it, it's just amazing that I don't know where I am. Thank you, 25. Uh, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly, and I will pay my vows to those who fear me. Now, this is David's response to all of what is happening in this psalm. 
David says, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I see what God has done and what Messiah will do. He said, the poor shall eat and be satisfied, and those who seek him will praise the Lord and let your heart live forever. Speaking of eternity, and all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord And all the families of the nation shall worship before you, even further down the road. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. That's coming in our book of Revelation. And all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship, and all those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. Go ahead, try to keep yourself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it should be recounted of the Lord for the next generation. And then look at the end here in verse 31. And they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Did you see where we are? Underline the word born. Jesus said you must be born again. This psalm is so powerful that at the end of it, it speaks of us Gentiles coming into the kingdom. And they will come and declare his righteousness to a people. The Jews are going to, these 11 are going to go out. Paul added into there as the 12th. They're going to go out and they're going to declare what Jesus did upon the cross and his righteousness to a people that will, let me paraphrase, who will be born again. That he has done this. What? This psalm. The the declaring of what Christ did upon the cross. Now is Psalm 22 important to you? It should be. But I know next week you're like, I love the shepherd and I love the sheep because we are that. Yes, we are. Read ahead. If you have not read Philip Keller's book, Shepherds look at the 23rd Psalm. We have that, hopefully, in stock. If not, we'll get it in for next week. And it is by far one of the greatest psalms. We know that. But it is from David's perspective as a shepherd boy. So read ahead next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for, Lord, allowing us to go through the battles and coming out of the battles, that we pray before we are in, or go in them, while we're in them, and when we come out of them, and that your purposes would be fulfilled in our life. And, Lord, what a beautiful time to see Jesus upon the cross through Psalm 22. Lord, let it be a remembrance to us, and let us come back to it often so we would remember that the born again are born again because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And thank you for enduring all that you did that day. Thank you for coming in the body of a man that we might have eternal life. So, Lord, bless the rest of our time now in fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.